Hello, and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life the way it was meant to be and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. Well, this wraps up our series we've been doing this month on the Beatitudes of the Heart. As Jesus began that greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he began with a series of Beatitudes or blessings. Happiness is what some call them. And in the midst of those first few statements found in Matthew chapter 5, we can really put them in two categories. There's some that are about the individual and his relationship with God. We're calling those the Beatitudes of the Heart. The others are about our interaction with each other, and they could be called the Beatitudes of Others or Beatitudes of Actions and things such as that. So what we've done in this series so far, we just kind of walked through this in order of the Beatitudes of the Heart. We talked about the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And today we're going to wrap up here in verse 8 where it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And as we have been saying each week, these are not independent statements. You know, I, you know, like I go to a restaurant and, and I'll choose this, but I don't want that. I'll choose this one, but not that. These all fit together and they're linked together and one naturally leads to the other. We begin with the poor in spirit, the, the bankruptcy of the heart. Nothing to do with money or finances or your wallet. Everything to do about your relationship with God. Because you have sinned, you realized, and that's what that is, it's a realization that I'm not right with God. That naturally leads to the next beatitude, and as blessed are those who mourn. That's an emotion. Uh, you've, and again, that, that beatitude has nothing to do with funeral homes, nothing to do with cemeteries, nothing to do with death, but everything to do with my relationship with God. Because I realize I have sinned, I'm not right with God. Uh, if I died, I wouldn't go to heaven. You realize that, now you feel that way. That led to our study last week about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's the action. Because you realize and you feel that you're not right with God, then you want to get right with God. And so there is a motivation, a desire to be right with God. And then that naturally leads to this last one we're going to talk about today, and that's the purity in heart. That's a state of righteousness. It's not that I just got right and I checked it off and went back to my old ways. I want to stay right. I want to be pure in heart with God. Yeah, you know, one of the things maybe that just naturally comes to our minds uh, when we think of purity of heart is, well, <laughs> I know I haven't always been like that. And so if my heart has at times been impure, if there have been filthy things in my heart, impure motives, self-centered reasonings, does that mean as I read from Matthew chapter 5 that I'm on the outside looking in? And of course, this is at the very heart of the gospel, right? We could go to Acts chapter 2 and we could hear Peter and the rest of the apostles calling people to repent. They've been cut to the heart. Uh, the first word out of his mouth is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
As I reflect on this, blessed are the pure in heart, and think about, okay, where does this begin for the disciple of Jesus? I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, where Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, he doesn't leave us hanging there with, well, if my heart hasn't been pure, am I on the outside looking in? No, he follows that up with, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It's significant to appreciate who it is that's writing this. I mean, back in Luke chapter 5, when he comes face to face with the miracle working Jesus, he falls to his knees and says to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Roger, that sounds a lot like poverty of spirit and mourning for our sins, Jesus reassures him, I want you to get up. I've got work for you to do. From now on, you're going to be fishing for men. And Peter develops a hunger and a thirst for what is right. And now God is using him to write to others and establishing where does this begin? How can I have this blessing of a pure heart? Well, number one, I've got to be born again through the living and abiding word of God. That's where I can begin with a purified heart. And, and what great images from the Old Testament of the priests who had to purify themselves before they could go into God's presence and make sacrifices or serve God. They had to wash their hands. They had to put on clean garments. They had to be purified. Now, the the part that needs to be purified here is our heart. Yeah. Uh, James would talk about wash, you, wash your hands, you sinners, and you double-minded ones. So, so th- this, a lot of times when we read this, and I've heard a lot of sermons on this, uh, that people will look at this one beatitude and they lose the connection to the three before that, as we already talked about in this study. And out of the blue, they talk about purity of heart, and they want to spend the rest of the sermon talking about pornography and how that's wrong. And it is wrong. But that doesn't flow with what Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus is talking about being single-minded, being focused. Uh, if we go to the grocery store and we buy some olive oil, and it'll say on the bottle, 100% virgin olive oil, well, you know there's nothing else in there. It's 100%. It's pure. We get water that is pure water. That means it's unpolluted. Jesus is driving at the disciple who is unpolluted by the world, unpolluted by error, unpolluted by his own thoughts and selfish ambition. He is singly focused on God. We could say he's a hundred percent in with God. Now, that is a thought that, again, sometimes we don't get very often. Sometimes we want to put our big toe in the pool of Jesus Christ, and that's all we want to get in. And Jesus is talking about those who are going to be all in, a hundred percent committed, I think would be another great way of looking at this. Yeah. And it does involve, like you said, um, 
separating ourselves from what is unholy, right? If if we were to continue reading there in First Peter, just lines after that, you've been born again, he writes in what we have as chapter 2, verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. There, there isn't any place for that in the heart of the disciple, but notice how that is tied to even some of the things we've talked about in this series, like newborn infants, 1 Peter 2, 2, long for the pure spiritual milk. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Roger, especially that last phrase, I think really resonates with what you're saying. If I've tasted that the Lord is good, why would I dilute my heart and pollute my heart with anything that he finds unholy or disgusting? Absolutely. And I think another great passage is as Paul began his first letter to Timothy, he would say in chapter 1, verse 5, but the goal of our instruction, and, and when we read that, that tells us this is why I'm writing. This is why I teach. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. There we have love, we have conscience, and we have faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. There's no other agenda. You know, Paul would talk about this as he began 1 Corinthians 13. Talks about if, if I give, if I sacrifice, but I do not have love, it is nothing. If I'm, if I'm doing something and love is not my motive, it's not my cause here, then I have an ulterior motive. I have you to my house, so you'll have me back to your house. I give you a gift, so you give me a gift. Uh, That's a selfish motive, the pure heart, nothing else than Jesus Christ. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is driving at here when he talks about this. So from, from the poor in spirit to the mourning to the hungering to the purity in heart, we see this direction. We see this movement. This person started off in a bad way. He was poor. He was bankrupt. But now he's become satisfied. Now, as this passage ends, he shall see God. You know, doesn't it seem like uh, this is what Jesus is getting at when he calls children to himself or rebukes his disciples as the disciples rebuke parents who are trying to get their children uh, close to Jesus? I mean, when we are proud in spirit. That is the very opposite of the best of a childhood sort of heart, right? And a a child has nothing to mourn because of their sin. But this progression that you're talking about from poverty of spirit to mourning to hungering and thirsting all the way to purity of heart, don't you think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, such is the kingdom of heaven? That's that's what we find so admirable, even as adults in childhood. That's that's maybe what we've lost as adults is that purity of heart. But I I I think we're on the right track with you nudging our our discussion in the direction of they shall see God. Roger, as as somebody is sitting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. 
and they hear Jesus from Nazareth talking about a man or a woman being able to see God, how do you think that would have landed uh, in the crowd? I, I think immediately they, they would have been shaking their heads, no. <laughs> and some of them would even be saying, no man can see God and live. Yeah. And, I mean, that that is a statement from the Old Testament that was understood from the Old Testament. If you see God, you're going to die. Um, Isaiah, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, had that vision, and he, he immediately says, I am ruined. I'm ruined because my eyes have seen the Lord. And, and so that was a common thought throughout the Bible is that no one sees God and lives. But in this beatitude, those who are single-focused, those who are pure in heart, they shall see God. And, and there's no uh, asterisk there saying, and you will die. It doesn't say that. And so this is a blessing. And so, you know, why should I be pure in heart? Why should I strive for after these things? Because the goal is I will see God. To see God means you are in his presence. Yeah. Uh, Revelation 22 verse 4 says uh, they, they will see God. And, and again, that, that's just a great blessing as we think about our walk with God. Uh, that is the conclusion. The conclusion is we will be in his presence. We will see him. And this is the, this is where Jesus is trying to get that multitude to see and understand where you begin. But where you end is so different. Yeah, and I, I do think there are two dimensions to this seeing God promise. Um, maybe we'll circle back around here in just a minute to the last chapter of the last book, that Revelation 22-4 passage that you referenced. But let's not lose sight of the fact that in Matthew 5, it is God in the flesh who is talking to them, right? And as you continue reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tragically, there are lots of people who have eyes that don't see, and they have ears that don't hear, and they have hearts that don't understand, right? Jesus, on more than one occasion, leans back to that 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 tragic prophecy in Isaiah where uh, people will have eyes but not see, ears but won't hear, hearts that, uh, th- that just do not accept or understand. I-, I think the first level of connection there is We've got all sorts of scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. They know a lot. Roger, I'm very confident if you and I were able to sit down and play Old Testament trivia with them, we would lose. We would get smoked. (laughs) We would get smoked. They knew their Old Testament scriptures, but you listen to how Jesus talks to them and about them. What's missing? It is poverty of spirit. It is mourning over their own sins. It is a lack of hunger and thirst for righteousness as defined by God. They had very much a system of their own righteousness that they were very zealous to protect and defend and even go so far as to murder over, right? But there was a hunger and thirst that was missing. There was a purity of heart that was missing. I feel very confident in saying that because on more than one occasion, 
right now I'm I'm teaching a class on the miracles of Jesus. It is remarkable to me how often in the Gospels we will read, Jesus did this miracle, and the Pharisees conspired amongst themselves how they were going to destroy him. (laughs) Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and they convene a conference. How are we going to kill Jesus? That is the very absence of purity in heart. You know, leading up to Luke 16, uh, the rich man Lazarus, uh, it says that Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and they are, they are described as lovers of money, those who justified themselves. Yeah. And, and and that that is a serious problem even today. Uh, because I go to church, I am right. Uh, without really looking within my heart and looking within the scriptures, we can just check the box that I'm okay. Uh, and, and, and I loved your point you just made that God was saying these words. God was standing right before them. Uh, it would be within Matthew that Jesus will later on say, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. And he would say in the Gospels that Moses wrote of me. And, that, and that's just shocking to say, well, well, how could Moses write of you when you're not that old? Because he is God. Yeah. And by his very voice, he would say in John 5, the dead will rise. So, so over and over, they would not accept that it was God that they were seeing but God the Father they're going to miss because they did not have that purity of heart that Jesus longed for. Yeah, so that is most certainly one dimension. But then I appreciate you highlighting for us the hope on the last page of our Bibles, right, where John uh, tells us an angel showed him the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. So many incredible things that we're being taught to look forward to. But just like the Beatitude, Notice where the real focal point is. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Roger, it doesn't get much more incredible than that. It doesn't. And, you know, as we kind of wrap this series up, Beatitudes of the Heart. He does not call this the Beatitudes of the Church, Beatitudes of the Nation, it's you and God. It's me and God. And that's that's where this has to begin. And I can't hide myself in the, in the fellowship of others and think, well, you know, we're all doing the same thing. We're all okay. Uh, how do I see myself? That's the, that's the poor or poverty of spirit. And what does that make me feel like? And that's the mourning. And then what does that cause me to do? That's the hunger and the thirst for righteousness. And then what do I do with those things? Do I, do I have that purity of heart? Do I try to remove all the pollutants in my heart that's going to mess me up with God? Again, great beatitudes, great relationship. This is what Jesus is trying to see. This is the heart of the citizen in the kingdom of God. It's the same heart he wants you and I to have as well. Yeah, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
They shall be comforted. They shall be satisfied. They shall see God. Those are the promises attached. Uh, Roger, there are other Beatitudes. We intentionally picked those four, four Fridays in the month of August, four Beatitudes of the heart. Uh, Perhaps the Lord will bless us with time and health to revisit some of the others, but I really appreciate you joining me today and throughout this month. We appreciate all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. Could we encourage you, if you have found this little four-part series helpful and you think of someone that maybe could be helped along the way, we would so love and be honored if you would take the time to share that with them. We hope our discussion has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven-bound. And as we've learned all month long, the best is yet to come.